it's great to sing to the Lord, isn't it? And sing about the Lord. And I guess the it never ends. He's always glorious, always worthy of praise. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you give us and all that you do for us. We do turn to you at this time as a nation, as a church, as a Christian community, and pray for your mercy and help, and pray that uh, you will help us to be in prayer, to be in your word, to be a faithful witness to others. And may we, in our own circles, you know, spread your gospel so that many may come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, as the COVID thing started, and you were hearing these uh, press briefings from the White House, I kept hearing the word mitigate and mitigation. And I'd never really used that word before myself, but... I could kind of tell what it was because they were talking about how to deal with the virus, how to mitigate the effects of the virus. But I did want to look it up just so I wouldn't be using it wrongly when, if I used it myself. So I looked it up and it said the meaning was to lessen the severity, soften the blow, you know, that type of thing, the, the basic meaning of the word itself. And so through medication, now I can't say it. Through medi mitigation, <laughs> um, you know, lockdowns, social distancing, wearing masks. We as a nation were trying to soften the blow of this virus. We were trying to lessen the severity of what this virus would do, this contagious virus. Holding down the death rate, slowing the rate of, of spread, so that we don't overwhelm the uh, medical facilities. And as I was thinking about all of this, all of this talk about mitigation and mitigating, I'm thinking that as the Church of Jesus Christ, it's time for us to mitigate. But what I'm thinking is that we ought to be mitigating against fear, anxiety, hopelessness. This COVID pandemic has stirred up an enormous amount of fear and anxiety and even panic. <clears throat> and I'm not trying to cut down the severity of the disease. I'm just talking about our response to it. And one extreme example was kind of back at the beginning when things were starting to happen, you know, the, the COVID was starting to be... Uh, studied and found out exactly what was happening and what it could do and there were those press briefings closed schools were closing for the spring semester uh, I was listening to this audio clip on the news and it you heard this teacher she ran across these kids who were out of school now <coughs> excuse me <coughs> they were out of school and they were like middle school age kids, and they were out throwing a football. Well, really, that's the best place you could be, right? Because of this, this virus, out 
and if you're over five years old, you're going to be social distance when you're throwing a football, right? Well, she just went berserk, this teacher. She was one of their teachers, and she screamed at the top of her lungs like I've never heard anybody scream before, and she says, you're killing people. And she took their ball and told them to go home <laughs> where they killed their parents. No, just kidding. <clears throat> well, that's just one example, and it's an extreme example, but it just kind of highlighted to me what happens if we start panicking. You add into that, you know, with all this that we've gone through with this pandemic, you add into that an election year, a presidential election year, where both sides are very faith fearful and anxious that if their side loses, it's the end of our nation. And so, you know, because of that and other things, we have riots in the streets, the burning of buildings, the looting of businesses, trying to defund the police. I mean, you'd never dream that people would be for firing police and getting police out of our system. Then we have even self-admitted, trained Marxists just, you know, saying that that's who they are and they want to take control of our government. So again, how do we as Christians and we as the Church of Jesus Christ mitigate against these high levels of fear, these things that can produce high levels of fear and anxiety and maybe even panic? Well, it just so happens that as we've been traveling through the book of Haggai, as we are down now to the last, the last four verses of the book, these last four verses tell us how as Christians we can mitigate fear and anxiety and panic in chaotic times. Because that's what's happening in the book. Let me uh, just get us caught up a little bit. Haggai was a prophet of God, sent by God to the Israelites who had returned from Babylon. <clears throat> they had been taken to Babylon because of their sin, because of their leaving the Lord, ignoring him, uh, going to idolatry over the hundreds of years. And so God finally allowed them to be taken into captivity. Here they were coming back after they had served their time. And when Cyrus, King Cyrus, sent them back, he was given a proclamation that he gave <clears throat> to the Israelites that they were to go back and rebuild the temple of the Lord. And he even gave them a lot of the treasures that were taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar so that they could rebuild the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now Haggai is sent to the Israelites because now it's been 18 years since they've come back. They started the building. They were stopped by their enemies in the area, enemies of the Israelites who did not want them rebuilding the temple or their society. And so they stopped the rebuilding. And now 18 years later, they haven't begun back rebuilding the temple. So God said that their neglect of his house, as they just left it in a, in a pile of rubble, he said their, their 
uh, neglect of his house was a sign of disrespect toward him. And it was a sign to the nations that they really didn't care about pleasing God or fixing up his house. And Haggai told them that their lack of care for God's house, because that was the proclamation that sent them back to go back and build the temple, he said their neglect of God's house was the reason that their crops were failing and that they were receiving hailstorms from God and diminished wages and even the lack of enough warm clothing. And he said, while they were living in that state of disobedience where they weren't caring about God's house, <clears throat> he said all of their offerings and sacrifices were defiled. They were living in a state of defilement to where everything they offered to God was unacceptable. And so it was a bad thing. And that's what Haggai went to them to tell them. And then something amazing happened. And see, we've been over all this, right? The amazing thing was they heeded Haggai's message. And they repented of their sins. And they turned back to the Lord in repentance. And so God responded to that. When they turned back to him, God responded with, I am with you. And then God stirred up the spirit of the governor, Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of the high priest, Josadak. And he stirred up the spirits of all the people. And they went back to rebuilding the temple with great rejoicing. You know, often... And I think that's the way it works regularly. When we listen to the Lord and we turn to him in repentance or just waking up or whatever, then God encourages us. Then he motivates us. But he wants us to turn to him. So they returned to rebuilding the temple. There was great rejoicing except for those that were old enough to remember Solomon's temple that was destroyed. And so they looked at this new temple, this rebuilt temple, and it looked pretty scrawny. I mean, Solomon had all the wealth of the world, basically, to put into that temple. And everything that in that temple, and the temple itself, gold-laden, I mean, just tons of gold. And now they're looking at this temple, and the ones who had seen Solomon's, they were mourning. They were grieving. And God said to them at that point, doesn't look like anything, does it? You who saw the old one. But then he said, one day I'm going to shake up the world order. The heavens and the earth, the sea and the land. I'm going to bring down kings and kingdoms. And then he said, one day the wealth of the nations will be poured into this scrawny temple that you're looking at. And they will come into, into <clears throat> given to the king. And he said, and the glory and the splendor of this house will be greater than the glory and splendor of Solomon's. And then he said, and in this place I will grant peace. You know, back then, everybody was always trying to overtake your land your riches, coming in conquering. It was going on all the time, constantly. And there were always people joining together to try to stop 
you know, the, the greatest army at the time from coming in and taking over and building an empire. And God said, and at that time, I will grant you peace. So here's the deal. When they, neg when they neglected the things of God, and when they dishonored him by leaving his house in ruins when they were told to rebuild it, and when they conveni conveniently forgot God, forgot about his proclamation to rebuild the temple, and they just started living to please themselves, well, they no longer received the blessings of God, and that was all according to the covenant that they were living under, the Mosaic covenant. It listed out the things, the ways that they could receive his blessings and the ways that they would receive his curses. But then when they heeded the voice of God that came through the prophet Haggai, God said he will be there for them, and he says, and from now on, I will bless you. And so now we come to the last four verses of this prophetic book. And these are our mitigation in times of fear, anxiety, threats, chaos. And they can provide us with the foundation of peace and stability, even in the midst of chaos and corruption. So follow along as I read from Haggai. <coughs> should be at verse 20. Do you have verse 20 there? There we go. Can you, can you go 20 through 23 there? I mean, just leave it at 20, but is that how it's lined up? Okay. I'm, I'm reading 20 through 23 at this time, so. Okay, thank you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign, of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Okay, let's see if we can go 23. Can you, do you, have, can you get 23 there? <clears throat> okay, thank you. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> Haggai is going to shake the heavens or he's talking, he's saying that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. He will take down rulers and powers of foreign kingdoms. What is he referring to? Shaking the heavens and the earth. Taking down foreign powers and kingdoms. Well, <clears throat> look at the words of Jesus. Here we go. In Luke chapter 21. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. 
Now we're going down to verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. So, land and sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what, what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. <clears throat> so as God promises through Haggai the prophet about all that's going to happen with this you know, temple and this land and everything and what God is going to do, it matches Jesus' prophecy of his second coming, his return to the earth. And then we also saw <clears throat> this, as we already read, I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Does that remind you of anything that happened in Israel's history? Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. It reminds you of being freed from Egypt, doesn't it? So you see God talking about how he's going to conquer in the future, and he's referring back to what he did in the past. And we know that he did it in the past. Each by the sword of his brother. There were times when God confused enemy armies and they were so much bigger than Israel, like when they fought the Midianites and, and it was Gideon and God made him pare down his army to 300 people. And the Midianites said were you know, more than the sand of the sea and their chariots were more than they could count. And then God sent a dream. He into some people of the Midianite army and they started to spread this message that Gideon's army is going to beat us and they, they all got scared and they killed each other. God confused their minds. And there's other ways that he has backed up Israel. One time he sent a message to an, uh, an invading army, Assyria, and said, there's somebody attacking you back home and they all left. And they, they would have slaughtered Israel. And there were other times when God saved them. <clears throat> and now we're talking about, you know, God going to save them, going to help them against their enemies. And we're talking also in the same language that Jesus is talking about when he's returning. Brother against brother. But if this is talking about the end times, namely the second coming of Christ, if, if God is giving this message through Haggai to the Israelites in 520 B.C., and he's really talking about the end times, the second coming of Christ, why is he saying, Zerubbabel, you're my signet ring? And a signet ring was the mark of authenticity a king would place upon a document to show that it was from him. And so he's saying, Zerubbabel, you're the proof that I'm keeping this promise, that I will restore this temple, that I will bring the, the nation's riches into Israel, that I will set upon the throne one of yours. Why was he saying that? Well, in verse 23, <coughs> On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take my servant, you my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, 
declares the Lord, and I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. He's saying that Zerubbabel will be the guarantee that God will honor the Davidic covenant. Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehoiakim, sinned against God, did not follow God, and he got cut off. He was in the line of David, and the Messiah has to come from the line of David. And he got caught off, so it looked like the line of David was no more, as far as the Messiah was concerned. But now he's declaring that Zerubbabel will be his signet ring, because he has chosen him. And what that saying is, is that the line of David is, is now in line with God's promises. And the Messiah will come from the line of David, just as promised in the past. And that will be the future eternal kingdom of God. David's covenant is still in force. A son of David will sit on the throne. And that will be the throne of an eternal kingdom. In Isaiah... Daniel and other places and that son of David's rule will extend throughout the whole earth according to the book of Daniel so here is really what we have in our passage today we have God through the prophet Haggai speaking to these returned captives these ex-captives from Babylon and he's telling them to rebuild the temple why? I mean, is that going to do anything, rebuilding the temple? Is God worried about what people think if he doesn't have a temple? No. He wants them to keep their focus on the promises of God. And it's all involved in the temple. The promise of a future, glorious, eternal kingdom with the temple at the center we're talking about that millennial kingdom when Christ comes back. Where a descendant of David will rule over the whole earth. And one day the treasures of the world will be brought to Jerusalem by the kings of the earth to honor the king of Israel and pay homage to Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And this also is our means of mitigation against fear and worry and anxiety when we see so much chaos and upheaval and people wanting to tear our nation apart. We can take heart in knowing that God has a plan at one point to shake the heavens and the earth, to rebuild a glorious temple, to set his son on the throne who will then rule in complete righteousness forever and ever and ever, and his kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. You know, there are so many times when we read through the scriptures that it looks like God's promises cannot happen at all. I mean, you look at things the way they are, you look at the promises, you see no connection there. How could it happen? They look impossible as we look at things through our own eyes. Especially when evil is running rampant. And situations look like there's no way to get from here to there. But God is able to shake up the heavens and the earth. 
He is able to take down evil rulers and kingdoms in one blow. And things can be going along one day, and then boom, God could come in and turn it around. It doesn't always happen that way, does it? But God can do it at any time. And things can, from our point of view can look totally helpless, absolutely hopeless. But at that very same time, God is working through those events that look totally helpless and hopeless. And he's working according to his timetable and his power and the people that he is raising up at a certain time in a certain way, his providence and his sovereignty to bring about his exact plan that will accomplish his purposes and will smash his enemies and then lift up his people. And that's always true. No matter how bad things look, no matter who takes control, no matter what laws are passed, no matter who is, uh, you know, persecuted, God's plan is always working its way out. And he's using those things to get to the greatest end. And so here we have these defeated Israelite captives who were taken to Babylon. And when they took them to Babylon, you know what they did back in those days? <clears throat> these empires, Assyrian Empire, Babylonian Empire, Persian Empire, what they would do was they would invade a country, take the people out, especially the, the powerful ones, uh, the movers, the leaders, they would take them out and either kill them or take them way far away, leave the poor people to take care of the crops, and then bring other people in from other nations. That's how you got the Samaritans. Bring them in to mix with the people, and then they lose their nation. They lose their ethnicity over years. And so they, they just dissolve nations that way. And that's why they run their empires. And so here are the Israelites taken to Babylon. Of course, the northern part was taken to Assyria before that. <clears throat> and often nations don't come back from something like that. But God had a plan to bring them back. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take them away. And it was part of his plan. And when he came back, he told them to rebuild the temple. And they may be thinking, why? But he said, rebuild the temple. That's their hope. That's their future hope. And when they did, many of them cried and wailed because it looked so bad. It looked so scrawny compared to, to Solomon's. But God said, I have great plans for this scrawny temple. We're going to do great things with this temple. God doesn't need the wealth of the earth, does he? He can do anything he wants at any time and he's got a plan for the whole process. And he says this, this temple will be brought, the wealth of the nations will be brought to it. And kings from all over the world will bring their riches and their wealth to this temple to honor the king of Israel. And so you see, this is our mitigation against fear and anxiety, against all that is happening in our day. We have the promises of God. And we just have to keep our eyes looking ahead and trusting in the promises of God. 
You know, the Bible said that Jesus looked beyond the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. So he looked past the cross to the joy that was set. You know, the rising from the dead, being crowned with glory. He looked beyond the cross. And so that's what we have to do also. So often it looks like there's no way that righteousness will win out. Even today it kind of looks that way in some ways, doesn't it? But you know what? Righteousness will win out. Righteousness will completely win out. In fact, sin and death will be totally vanquished. And it will be totally righteous all throughout the new earth. We just have to keep our eyes looking ahead. We have seen God's promises come true against unbelievable odds, against totally impossible odds. And they will continue to come true all the way until the new heavens and the new earth. And we will reign with Christ forever and ever. And at that time, there will be no more sin, no more corruption, no more dirty politics, no need for anxiety and fear. There will be no more death, no more cheating, no more loss or heavy sorrow, no more earthly powerful stomping on others to enrich themselves, no more selfishness, no more false motives, and we will also get to spend eternity with our loved ones who have come to know Christ. So, you know, we do see corruption in this age, don't we? We do face pandemics and loss and violence and mistreatment and cheating and lying. We do face health problems, money problems, family problems. But we've got to keep our eyes upon Christ because he's conquered the grave. And all who become one with Christ will conquer the grave. It all depends upon our relationship with Christ. Everyone who's joined to Christ will conquer the grave. That is our mitigation against fear and anxiety and hopelessness. Even if we suffer, even if the corrupt win on the short term. Think of the glorious future kingdom of God. Think of that glorious future temple where the riches of the earth will be brought and laid at the feet of Christ. Outshining even the glory of Solomon's temple. We read a few weeks ago that, what was it now? How many, how many tons of gold was brought in just to the holy place? I forget. Brian, you know. <laughs> in the hundreds. Yeah, it was in the hundreds. Tons of gold brought into just, just the one part of the temple, the holy place. And, this, and the glory of this new temple will outshine the glory of Solomon's temple. And then, remember what the writer of the book of Hebrews said, 
to some first century Jews who were thinking, this is too rough. We're going to turn back to Judaism. He said, run the race with perseverance. Hang on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such enormous opposition so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And this is how we mitigate fear, anxiety, worry, and hopelessness. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word and in how many different ways you give us this good message through all the prophets, through all the history, through all the epistles, through the prophecies. Lord, we, we thank you that your, your word has so much to it that we can never really cover everything. And we just keep learning and learning. And it tells us of you. And Lord, help us to be able to take that in and know you more and more and become closer and closer to you and one with Christ. We thank you for the victory that awaits us as we hold on to Christ. We thank you for your love that sent Christ down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.